there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode number 74 of the DBR podcast. It's going to be kind of a depressing episode because uh, I guess it was about a half hour ago the Duke-Carolina game ended, and um, as you know, unless you live under a rock, and I don't know why you'd be listening to the podcast if you didn't know that Duke lost to Carolina, which sucks, and we hate it, and we're in a lousy, foul mood, but I have to introduce my compadres anyway. In Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Hey. That was perfect, Donald. Thank you very much. And out in Denver, Colorado, Sam Klein. Sam, where did you watch the game tonight? I uh, was at a friend's house uh, who also went to Duke with me, and uh, that friend had a couple other people over, most of them rooting for Duke. And then at halftime, um, apparently these two Carolina fans were invited over for some reason. So I had to watch the second half seated next to two Carolina fans. Yeah. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh It's their fault. Uh I'm blaming them. Is oh, there whoever oh, they are? Is there fault? Oh, I came in. I came in fully prepared to blame these people and by extension myself for this loss. So um so to those I don't believe anybody who was at the event listens to the podcast. So screw all of you. Um and <laughs> in, per- in particular the two UNC fans who showed up. And it was it was one of those situations and you guys probably understand where I'm coming from, what I'm about to explain. I think probably most of the listeners do because they are big enough Duke or college basketball fans that they are able to obsess like this, that when you watch a game with people who just don't seem to know as much about what's going on, like they don't necessarily know who any of the players are. They don't know sort of what, like I explained the the four minute media timeout to people like during the second half, like while all the drama was unfolding. Um, oh, I, and, I hate this. And I being, hate people like that. Okay, so, so I, I don't. Fine. I know. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say that I hate people like this because obviously, you know, not everybody is like we are. I, I think we we understand that we are in the the one percent of 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 insanity when it comes to Duke basketball and college basketball in general. Um, so I understand that not everyone is like me. However. I, I, in fact, I was, I was in a situation earlier today where I could have been, I was up in the, you know, you guys know, I live in Denver. Um, I was up actually skiing in the mountains today and could have stayed in the mountains to watch the game with some, with some other people um, who were even less knowledgeable college basketball fans than the group I ended up being with. And I told them, I said, guys, it's nothing against you. But when I watch a game that is as emotional, say, as the Duke UNC game at the end of the season, you know, I tend to be kind of annoying. So it it really be best for both parties here if I just leave and go do my thing with with my Duke friends. So I I left them, came yeah, back I, to Denver. I, I should revise. Thought I, in, I thought I, I say, thought that I was in good hands, and it turns yeah. out that I wasn't. I I should revise and say I don't hate people like that. I completely understand it. I hate it when you have to watch a game where you are really emotionally invested. Yeah. Um, with people like that, where where, I mean, you want to be focused it sounds silly i mean like no, like our watching can affect the game but the, you want not, to, I, there are some I, I, games I, there are some I, games I, where you want to te- where you want to there's some games where you want to explain the game you're like i have you, you know you're playing clemson you're like hey i'll explain it under four media timeout but when you're playing unc when you're in the ncaa tournament or the acc tournament which we're going to talk about in a little bit like those are games where you want to be focused and locked in and focused on every nuance of the game and exactly. you don't have time to just be explaining under four media timeouts to people. Exactly. So that, that, was the, that was the unfortunate situation that I found myself in tonight, particularly during the second half when Duke kind of faded down the stretch. And Jason, I don't know, do you want to, you know, we, we haven't recorded since the FSU game. In addition to the UNC game, how do you want to divide up the uh, discussion here? I mean, there's a piece of me that wants, I want us to make sure we talk about the Florida State game. It, it was a very nice win for Duke. Um, uh, against a really high-quality opponent. I mean, Florida State's one of the best teams. You, you tell me Florida State's making the Final Four, I'm not going to go, you're crazy. Florida State's a really good team. But, I mean, how can we not spend all our time obsessing about the Carolina game? I think we're going to spend our time mostly obsessing about the Carolina game. So let's at least let's start with that game. And, uh, uh, Donald, I'll let you go first. Uh, I, I mean, I could toss you a question to start you off. In fact, that's what I'll do. Has has Joel Berry missed a shot yet? I I I think Joel Berry just hit another three pointer with a hand in his face. Look, Joel Berry, 
he had a moment in the second half where I was like, yo, Joel Berry, the real Joel Berry is showing up. Because in the first half, I don't know who that dude was. That dude hit five threes. He was five for five. He hit 19 points and was the sole reason that they were even in that ball game. And I don't understand how Joel Berry decided that he was going to show out on his against against us because he did it a little bit against us in Cameron but in the second half I, I think we were talking about this uh offline and he had this moment in the in the second half of the game in Cameron where he showed his true colors he had a couple of just terrible shots and that was what led us to pull away down the stretch and kind of solidify our win this time he didn't do that and I don't know why he decided he was not going to be himself today but I, I just, it, it was, it was, un, it was surreal, the fact that he was getting good shots and making them. Because sometimes he gets a lot of good shots and just, he, sometimes he, he, you know, he's streaky, but he gets some great shots and just doesn't hit them. Today he was hitting everything, and I, I mean, if you told me that he, like, if if I gave you the, gave him the ball like seventy five feet away from the basket, he probably would have made that too. Like, I, I don't get how on he was, but it wasn't like it, it, that was kind of something that fed the rest of the team for them. And I, that is the part that is most perplexing is that he was the catalyst and he's usually not the catalyst of that team. You know, the surprising thing to me about Joel Berry, uh, by the way, this wasn't his career high. He scored 31 against Clemson earlier this year, but this was his second highest. And that game went to overtime, by the way. Um, the interesting thing to me about Joel Berry was that he he had this huge first half, and then he was sort of absent in the second half until the final four minutes when he mm-hmm. again, you know, turned it on and and uh, he had three straight, you know, jumpers and layups in in the final four minutes that that stretched out the lead for Carolina um, and 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 really gave them the win. It was like he was unbelievable in the first half, and then did nothing. For the first 17 minutes of the second half, 16 minutes of the second half, and then took over again. Um, he had a great game, and uh, it, it was just really, really frustrating to watch because he was making shots with hands in his faces. Gah, I hate that. Um, we- although, to some extent, you could say, and uh, Sam, I'll let you get in. I was going to say, to some extent, his greatness sort of, uh, you know, uh, on the other hand, we had the guy who, Justin Jackson, the guy who's been Carolina's best player all year, have for him a really poor game. He 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 had a little stretch of about three minutes where he took over and he gave Carolina the lead that Joel Berry then stretched out. But Justin Jackson had a terrible game, was taking really bad shots. So maybe between the two of them, they combined to have an average game. I don't know. I don't even know. Sam, what you got? Well, I, I wanted to go back to our original discussion about UNC. This would have been four weeks ago now or so before the first game when the two keys that we pointed out were Joel Berry being kind of the leader of this team, even though Justin Jackson, I think we can agree, you know, for the, for the rest of the season has been the best player on UNC that, that this team kind of goes through Joel Berry and that the other, um, the other big key for UNC is that they get offensive rebounds and get second chance points. And I think that neither of those things came to fruition in the first game, which was, you know, to, to both of these teams' credit, both of these games that we played against them, the one in Cameron back in February and then tonight in Chapel Hill were both outstanding basketball games. And there were, you know, mistakes kind of on both ends of the ball, but but for the most part, very high level of play. The game tonight went more according to the script that we had laid out um, a few weeks ago because Joel Berry was was the leader of the team and UNC won on the back of his incredible shooting, but also I think, and and we can talk about this, on the back of the impressive offensive rebounding that that they had, the number of, of uh, second chance points they got, and especially the points they got in the paint. And that was where in the first game, I think we thought if Duke was going to lose, it was going to be because they weren't going to be able to match up inside. That didn't really manifest in the first game, but in the second game, it certainly did. And we saw um, that UNC guys were able to drive to the hole with a little bit more free will than they were in the first game and that their bigs were able to get second chance points either on putbacks or, or kicking the ball back out and restarting the offense. And I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I know that UNC was much more productive on second chance and in the paint tonight. Yeah, they, they only got 12 offensive rebounds, but they, they did a lot with them. 
and they were really great in the paint. Isaiah Hicks was the man. Isaiah Hicks had 20 points combined. And he didn't play in the first game against us. Yeah, but, right. But I was going to say he had 20 points combined in his past four games, and he had 21 points today. He really, I mean, it was his senior day, you know, and, and, and he showed up uh, in a very, very, very big way. Uh, let's talk about the good things for Duke. Um, Donald, give me, give me something really good that you saw for Duke in this game. Other than the fact, by the way, I, you know, one good thing for Duke is everyone considers North Carolina a lock to be a number one seed, and we played them really, really, really even. I mean, they stretched it out late, but this was a nip and tuck. This was a, these were two very evenly matched teams. How can Carolina be a one seed, and people are probably going to say that Duke's a four seed? Makes no sense. We're on their floor, and we're basically even with them. Yeah, and I, you know, I was looking at the, the spread, at least on ESPN. I know there's different spreads on what Vegas and some of the books do. But it was like at 7.5, which I thought was pretty high, considering and, and it ended up being a 7-point victory uh, for UNC. So I guess it was right at the end of uh, – right, right at the tip of what they predicted. But I think I, – I, I will tell – Really, really quick, I will tell you the, the line that I got. You know, there's this uh, ACC wagering contest that we're doing on the board, and the line that I got was six and a half. That's what most people got. And I thought six and a half was a, was a great line to get on Duke, and Carolina got this crazy backdoor cover. They hit two free throws, and then Duke throws the ball away. You know, we right. don't even get our meaningless layup. I, I almost had a backdoor cover. Instead, I had a backdoor miss. Right. Anyway. And I think kids, the one thing that we kids, – Kids, don't gamble on sports. Yeah. Right. Good advice. Good advice. I'm down do like three grand. I'm down like three thousand in the contest. Don't gamble. In fake, in fake money. <laughs> this is fake money. We are not gambling. Oh yes, very fake. Thank goodness. <laughs> fake dollar bills, monopoly money. Uh, but I think the the one thing that we did well is we never gave up. Like there was no uh, quit in our team. I mean, even when we were down, like I mean, when the lead kind of stretched or the deficit kind of stretched. We never got out of it, and I think that was what was good. Is you know, while we may have taken a couple bad shots, we may have had a couple bad possessions. We it wasn't because we gave up and we just kind of threw the ball at the rim. We were going at them all the way to the final whistle, and I think that is what you want to see in a team in March. You know, whether we win or lose, you always want to see us do our best, and you want to see us fight all the way to the end. I don't know if we did our best tonight. And in fact, I'll venture to say we did not do our best tonight. But what we did do great is play all the way to the final whistle. And I think that is what you're going to need going, going into March, uh, going into the ACC tournament. And I think that's what we did well tonight. I think Sam, that all the, all the right. non-freshmen had, had really outstanding stretches in this game. Uh, Chris and Allen made, made a couple of really big shots for us. Luke Kennard made some unbelievably acrobatic moves around the basket. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a point in the first half where Jay Billis said, "Who's better in the you know who's better in the mid range in in college basketball than Justin Jackson?" And then and then Luke Kennard proceeded to hit like a mid range shot that was really challenging. And I thought, well, I don't know, Luke Kennard is is pretty good. I mean, Justin Jackson has obviously been phenomenal this year for UNC, but Luke Kennard has been about toe to toe with him, and today it was much better. Um, and then Emil Jefferson in the paint made a lot of great moves. There were a couple plays where. He got the ball with good position down low and was just one-on-one, and you thought, well, he's going to score. I mean, whoever's guarding him, be it Hicks or, or Meeks or whoever on UNC, was not going to be able to stop Jefferson. And then Jones, Matt Jones, made a couple of nice offensive moves. He was really aggressive on defense. I think I liked a lot of what I saw from the veterans tonight. I think the one glaring issue that I would point out from them was Grayson Allen missing those free throws down the stretch that were just – probably the killer for this team and that really deflated them at the end um, from the freshman. Well, you know, I think, yeah. I was, really quick on the free throws. Cause uh, so I was, you know, going back to our original conversation about watching the game with friends, I was watching with my two sons, but um, I was texting with, with some buddies of mine. Um, all, all, uh, the four of us all lived on the same hall together freshman year. And, and we've been, you know, it's lifelong friend kind of thing. And we were texting with each other during this game. And one of them, was complaining bitterly about Allen missing those free throws. And I said, I said, I don't know what, you know, this is natural regression. To the, Grayson Allen was eight for 11 at the free throw line. That's not bad. That's, you know, that's like 77%, it felt, 75%. It's so much worse with those three at the end. Right. They were absolutely. But I mean, it's not like you look at it and go, 
Oh, no. Duke, Duke only hit 80% of their free throws in this game. We hit 80% of our free throws. Sure, what, I, I mean, I, absolutely, they were. it was the wrong time to miss them, but it was natural regression to the mean. And it's not like he bricked them bad. I mean, they rattled around the rim, they rolled around the rim, and they fell off. Um, I, I can't blame him for that. But continue with I, your point. Well, I was, I was going to finish my positive with a negative, which is that um, Harry Giles really didn't look at all like himself, at least what we think he, he should have looked like this year. And I think it's a real shame that going into the tournament, it feels like Duke pretty much just has a six-man rotation, right? We have we have uh, Jefferson in the front court, and then there are five perimeter players around him that are that are vying for, for minutes, where it's Tatum, um, <laughs> excuse me, Tatum, Jones, Allen, Kennard, and Jackson. And and that's that's pretty much all we can expect at this point um, from this team. And and you know, in years past, we've we've talked a lot about Duke's rotation and how Coach K likes to thin things out. I don't think that this year this is the rotation that he expected to be going into into postseason play with. But but that's where we're at. And Giles doesn't seem like he's contributing much, and I don't think anybody else played tonight. So um, Bolden Bolden played one minute at the end of the first half. Sure. Very okay. into the first half. I, so, let me let me say let me say this about Giles really quickly. Um, I I had written a little note to myself um, from early in the game uh, that Harry Giles, uh, you know, there was a play where he walked, but he hit a 17 footer with a hand in his face, and he showed really nice touch on his shot. Now he walked, so it didn't count. But I was like, oh man, maybe maybe we're starting to see a little more confidence, a, a uh, you know, a little more flow from him. Um, and 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 then he had it happened some in the first half, but he had that stretch in the second half. Oh my God, he got lost on defense on three consecutive possessions. He committed fouls on each one of those possessions. Actually, he he got lost on defense. I think on like four or five possessions because he committed three fouls, but he also gave up some, uh, you know, some easy shots to the Carolina big men. I think a team like UNC that that gets the ball inside really well and that passes so well. Um, uh, on the interior was a terrible matchup for Harry Giles. Um, I'm still hopeful for him. I really am because the, the, he shows you these flashes, that 17-foot jumper that he took with confidence um, and his ability to, to jump out of the gym. Um, he shows you those flashes, and I just I wish it would get there. It, it's almost there. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about Carolina, and, and uh, I don't know, I think you guys, if you want to wrap it up, and then we'll move on. And I do want to talk about Florida State a little bit. But um, to me, the most important thing to come out of this game was I have firmly decided now that Emil Jefferson is back. I think we are now looking at the same Emil Jefferson we had at the beginning of this year, that we had at the beginning of last year, before he got hurt last year, before he got hurt this year. It, it doesn't. If, uh, guys, tell me if you think I'm wrong. It feels to me like this is the same Emil Jefferson who has phenomenal moves in the posts. Really, you know, he's elevating better for his rebounds. This is not the guy he was a few weeks ago, and that's a huge, huge bonus for Duke. He was playing against some of the best big men in the country today, and at times he made them look foolish. And I think um, that, this I, is I think a big that, deal. I think that he is back on offense completely. I think that. On defense, there's still a step missing, and we we really could use it if if he was fully capable of defending the post and and staying with guys after switches. And I think that a couple times tonight there were UNC players that burned Emil Jefferson because he wasn't fully prepared on the switches. Um, and I wish we had seen more of that from him. But but on the offensive end, absolutely, uh, he he rebounds really well on offense, and and when he gets the ball. Um, like I said earlier, he, it seems like if he's one-on-one and he's got even modest position in the post, he's going to score. And, and it seems like the, as much as the UNC players try to lock it down, he can make one more, you know, up and under move and, and scores easily. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm sure. By the way, as, as much as I feel great about Emil Jefferson being back, Grayson Allen, um, I, I'm going to give you guys some numbers. And these numbers are terrifying. First of all, Grayson Allen was two for four in this game from the field. Now, he, he took some free throws. I mean, he was, so he, uh, he, he was getting to the line, which is good. But he went two for four in this game. One game after, he went one for three. The previous game before that, he didn't play because he was hurt. 
Previous game before that, he was 2 for 11 against Syracuse. Against Wake, he was 3 for 8. Against Virginia, he was 2 for 10. Against Clemson, he was 2 for 10. This is a guy who hasn't hit more than three field goals like this month, practically. The last and time all the, Grayson and all the, played... And all the, uh, his attempts were three-pointers. Every time he drove into the lane is when he got fouled and went to the line. Yeah, which, which is good, but he does not have anywhere close to the quickness or the explosion that he, that he had earlier in his career. Um, it is so clear he is still hurt, that he is still injured. The last good game he had was against UNC, and since then he is really, really struggling. I, I wish we had more of a bench because, God, I, I wish he hadn't played the past four games. I think it was after the Wake game that we started talking about the notion of whether or not he should sit. Um, and we've lost three out of four. I think, you know, I, 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 they've been close games. They've been good games. I don't feel down on the team. I feel very, very up on the team right now. I think we're in a good place. But I'd feel a lot better if Grayson Allen hadn't played the past four games because uh, he's got to get healthy. If he gets healthy, we're winning it all. I'll say it and right now. When we're we winning it all about, if he gets healthy. When, when we talked about this two weeks ago, about what should Duke do down the stretch about Allen and Jefferson, we thought, well, you know, Maybe if they if they don't play a couple games, Duke's in in danger of losing some. Duke ended up going three for four down the stretch at the end of the season with Allen playing, so or missing one game, uh, and then against Florida State, he only played 16 minutes. So, um, I Jason, I'm I'm inclined to to agree with you that we we haven't seen his best. I mean, he had he he did drive with authority tonight, and I think that you know he he got to the line a lot and and for the most part, as you said, was able to convert the free throws. Um, but, but yeah, he hasn't really been the same player the last few weeks. And, and it is a, it's a, it's a challenge for, for coach K going into the postseason because how many guys on this team can he really trust to score? I mean, is it, is it just Jefferson and Kennard at this point? Uh, well, uh, and Tatum. And yeah, and we're certainly in Tatum. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't be even remotely sad if Grayson Allen sat out the ACC tournament. I'd be thrilled if he sat out the ACC tournament. I mean, how crazy is that? Uh, unless he feels really healthy, unless we're going to see the healthy Grayson Allen who can take the ball to the hole and explode. Because if we don't see that, I think it's going to be very, very tough for this team to make the Final Four and win it all, which, which they have the potential to do. All right, Donald, you got anything else, or should we move on to Florida State? No, let's move on to Florida State. So, time for the Florida State Seminoles. Duke won that game 75-70. to 70. That final score, I think, is a little deceptive. Um, uh, that, that's kind of the closest Florida State got in that second half was, was at the very, very end there. Um, Duke had a, a fairly comfortable lead throughout the entire game. Um, uh, Sam, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, what did Duke do in this game that maybe we hadn't done, uh, you know, in our road losses or the first time we played Florida State? I think that the the ball moved around a lot on offense and that lots of different guys were able to score. Uh, Frank Jackson certainly, I think had the, had the most impressive night, but you saw, you saw Kennard making good shots. You saw Tatum making good shots. Gile or uh, Grayson Allen, we already mentioned, didn't play as much, but um, for the five guys that were on the floor for most of the game, which is, you know, the rotation that I said before, minus Grayson Allen, um, all those guys were really were really able to score well. You know, maybe not Matt Jones, um, but you can't expect it from everybody. I think that uh, the fact that Duke tied Florida State in rebounding was really nice, and uh, that they they kept them kind of at bay. There were no moments where you felt like Florida State was really going on a run. I think toward the end of the game, there was like, a, well, why is Duke letting up? Like, there's still four or five minutes left, and yeah, they have a 12, 13 point lead, but Oh no! Now it's a seven-point lead. Oh, now it now it's a six-point lead. Um, I think there was a little concern for me that Duke didn't didn't run away from them and that they let Florida State creep back up. But for the most part, it was a pretty dominating performance from the first half all the way into the second half. And and I was really impressed with that. And honestly, if that's the kind of performance we're going to get, even even with Allen struggling, um, the team that we saw in Cameron on Tuesday night, I think, is a team that can beat anybody. Donald. You know, maybe Donald doesn't want to say anything about Florida State. I think Donald, Perhaps not. 
<laughs> Donald's, Sorry, was Donald's too busy. Donald's too busy responding to my Snapchats. I was I was <laughs> muted. <laughs> um, hang on. <laughs> I'm not editing this. I'm not, this is going in, baby. That's Good. fine. That's fine. I, I passed everybody. you the ball. Wait, wait. I passed you the ball, and you did nothing with it. No, I mean, everybody. This is a great. Thing was, this is a great time to tell everybody. It, it was just muted. Donald and oh. I. Donald and I can get real feisty on Snapchat. So follow us. We're great. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's it. Um. So what I was saying while muted was that uh, one thing that I saw with Florida State is that they threw a lot of bodies at us. They played twelve guys, uh, a significant minute, or at least significant minutes. And by significant, I mean not like zero plus or one or one minute. They played. Uh, I think the one person who played the least was uh, Kumaji, who played six minutes. And one thing that they did was they – I wanted to say that they threw a lot of bodies at us to kind of tire us out because they knew we were going to play seven or eight, uh, even though it was senior night. And we took that punch and withstood it. And I think that was uh, – you know, early in the week, that was something that I was like, oh, that's a really good thing that we're, you know, we're walking into halftime, and my buddy who went to Florida State – texts me and goes, well, this is over. Uh, we're not playing well, and you guys somehow took our best punch, and you're still up like 12. So I, I think that is what was awesome at the beginning of the week, is that we took, we, we were able to come together and kind of take that punch, especially after the week that we had the week before, where we lost both games on the road, to come back to Cameron and to say, this is our house, this is our night. You know, I, I said last week that I thought Emil Jefferson was going to have a great game, and, and he did. Uh, 11, 11 rebounds, 14 points, six for six shooting from the, from the field. That's what you want to see from a guy who, you know, a week ago we were talking about maybe he should sit out a couple games because he was hurt. Um, By the way, props. You, call, you totally called that. Major I mean, props to you, sir. It's not even it's, – it's, it's one of those things where, you know, when, you're, when it's your last game in a, in, in a place that you've called home for five years, you're going to want to go out a winner. You're going to want to go out on top. You're going to want to have a – a really good game. And I thought Emil Jefferson was prototypical. Like there's this, the reason he came back to Duke was to have that senior night. And I, I didn't, he didn't disappoint. He had a great night. And I thought that was, was what spurred the rest of the team because he's the quarterback. He's, he's the leader. He's the man. And I think that kind of performance is what kind of calmed everybody down um, for, from, you know, in, in, in the second half, even though it was, you know, the score was 75, 70, like you said, Jason, I didn't think it was that close at all. I thought it was a game that was pretty well in hand and just kind of, you know, I mean, even, you know, Justin Robinson and, and, and a lot of, we got a lot of guys who don't play a lot of minutes. Um, they got to get in and experience some of this game. So I think that is what you want to see, especially against a great team like Florida State. By the way, you mentioned that Kumaji guy. At one point, he was standing next to Emil Jefferson. That dude is huge. Oh, yeah. He he's seven four. Jefferson looked like he was a child next to that guy, um, but luckily he's totally uncoordinated. Doesn't know how to play basketball, so he's seven four, and it doesn't matter. Uh, I'll tell you, my big takeaway from that Florida State game was, and and by the way, we also saw this at times against Carolina. Frank Jackson is, uh, for, he has really long arms. He is amazing at finishing around the basket like Frank Jackson had this great game and, and yes he hit some three-pointers but most of what Frank Jackson did in this game was taking the ball to the hoop taking it in the lane you know having guys bump into him and being able to finish uh, I, I you know that was a coming out party for Frank Jackson because Florida State they're they're long they're athletic they have very good guards and Frank Jackson was like yeah I don't care I'm taking over um, he was fabulous in this game, um, uh, you know. And if uh, it, it, Grayson Allen's injuries have resulted in Frank Jackson really being able to shine the past couple games. And I'll give you a hint: you're going to hear his name from me a little later in the podcast when we do Player of the Week. Oh no way! Yes way. Yes way. <laughs> that, that is going to happen. Mark it down, baby. You talking about Frank Jackson, a- or are you talking about another Frank Jackson? I'm talking about Frank Jackson. Oh, Frank Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> Heard of him. Heard of him. Uh, so I, I thought this Florida State game was encouraging. Like I said, I, to me, this week was encouraging. How, how do you guys feel? Let, let's do this. Before we get to the ACC tournament, going into the ACC tournament, how do you all feel about the team? And we, we've lost three out of four. I, I, I feel a heck of a lot better than I did a week ago. Sam? I, 
I don't like that we've lost three or four. I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about how Duke kind of goes through this January swoon every year. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm calling it now is the January swoon. And that towards the end of the season, you know, they might lose a game or two here and there, but for the most part, Duke usually rolls into March feeling pretty good about themselves. And, you know, obviously some years it works out better than others this year. I don't know if that's the case. I think that, the these last two games have been good. Um, Florida State game was really nice. Obviously, the UNC game was about as reasonably good as as you're going to see Duke play against a team that is something like a one, maybe a two seed. Um, so I'm not I'm not down on the team after that. But I do wonder still at this point, 30 or whatever games in, what the identity of this team is, and and there aren't many aspects of this team on on offense or on defense that I think you can regularly count on game to game. Certainly there are games where Jason Tatum's able to score well. There are games where Matt Jones locks down on defense. There are games where Emil Jefferson can kind of do a little bit of everything. I don't think we see that every week and and that's what's concerning to me. I'm I'm really scared about the ACC tournament and and certainly the worst thing that happens in the ACC tournament is that you lose your game and then you just wait around until the NCAA tournament comes around, which isn't the worst thing. But uh, if Duke is trying to, to win banners this year, um, I, I don't know how they do it with a team that changes game to game with a, a team that is so volatile. And at this point doesn't have any kind of depth that is going to say, all right, two guys are off tonight. We can just sit them. Well, there aren't that many guys who have been able to step up and, and put in big minutes for this team. So I, I think I'm concerned. Um, I, and I, I, I hesitate to say this is the worst I've felt about this team this year, because I think in January, there was a point where I felt pretty bad about it. Um, but, but I don't remember in recent years feeling this unsure about a Duke team going into the postseason, even those years where Duke lost in the first round with, with those teams run by, Jabari Parker or by Austin Rivers. Don, what about you? So I think I fall in the middle. I, I, I think, you know, Jason, you're really high on the team. Sam, you're concerned. And I think I'm in the middle. Um, I, I agree with both of you. I think there are, there's a lot to be, uh, you know, enthusiastic about. Like, I think we've played pretty well this week. Uh, I, I think, you know, even just despite the loss tonight, I thought we played a pretty decent game. We didn't, we didn't stink the court up against, you know, a team that people are, are saying deserves a one seed. Um, I thought we deserve, we, we showed that we deserve uh, as much credit as, as, uh, as UNC does. You know, we played a really good game tonight. We just came up short. Uh, and I think against Florida State, I thought we played a really good game. I do agree with Sam in the fact that we've been inconsistent. And, you know, it's hard to kind of gauge this team as, as we enter the postseason. Because we, you know, from week to week, as, as Sam said, from week to week, you don't know which team is going to show up. And it seems like it's a tale of weeks. We had that one stretch um, between, you know, the end of January and the middle of February where we went on a run. And even with those games, we didn't fully click. We didn't fully put it all together. And that's what we're looking for at this point in the season. Can we have a few games where we string together, where we put it all together and we, it, we are clicking on all cylinders? And all the other cliches that you want to throw out about a team that is on point. I don't know if we're there yet. So I fall myself in the middle because I think I'm, I'm still enthusiastic about this team. But I want the team that we, you know, that played in, you know, basically the beginning of February and early this week. I don't want the team that played last week. I don't want the team that played most of January. But will we see that team? I think that's the question now is what team are we going to see next week and the week after that and the week after that? So uh, the, the comment I would make is um, I think that uh, the ACC tournament will be very telling because this conference has been so tough on the road. It is so hard to win away from home, especially when you're playing you know, a team that's in the top half of the standings. And I think that may be coloring the view of this Duke team. We had a tough closing stretch. We played a Miami team that was on the bubble and got off the bubble by beating us. We played a Syracuse team that was on the bubble and got off the bubble by beating us both those games on the road. We played North Carolina on the road. You're right. Carolina 
Everyone seems to think at worst they're like the number two, number three team in the country. There's some people who say they're the best team in the country. We played them in their place on senior night, and we were with them every single step of the way. Um, so I want to ask you guys a question. Do you know, so we know Duke's best road wins this year. Duke beat Notre Dame and Virginia on the road. That's mm-hmm. impressive. That is really impressive. And, and Notre Dame being a team that we have never beat on the road before until this yep. year. Yep. Uh, those are two ranked teams. And you tell me that either one are making the Sweet 16 or the Final Eight, I'm not even mildly surprised. There, there'll be plenty of people that will pick both those teams to make the Final Four, especially Notre Dame. Duke beat both of them on the road. Do you know North Carolina's best road win? Clemson? Wake Forest. Wake, Wake Forest. Forest. They beat Wake. North Carolina, Wake has come on strong down the stretch here. And we'll talk about the ACC getting NCAA bids in a moment. I think Wake probably played their way into the tournament uh, this past week. Um, but had N- Wake not made the tournament, and they still, I guess they still might not, um, North Carolina would have exactly zero wins on the road or neutral against NCAA tournament teams. Zero. They happen to have gotten... Carolina is in this exalted position where they're going to get a number one seed and everyone's talking about them and all the, you know, everyone's going to be betting on them in the, in the March Madness pools because they got a favorable home road schedule. We've talked about it before. I'm not going to get into all the numbers behind it. It's absurd. It was absurdly favorable. They didn't play Florida State on the road. They didn't play Louisville on the road. They didn't play Notre Dame on the road. They didn't play Virginia Tech on the road. They didn't play Miami on the road. They didn't play Syracuse on the road. I feel like Duke played all those games. They did. They did. That's... <laughs> Is that unbelievable? The only, the only road teams Carolina played who had a winning record in the ACC were Duke and Virginia. And you know what? They lost both those games. Well, there aren't any games on the road in the postseason. Exactly. And exactly. And that's so, why I'm high on this Duke team. Uh, and and it, that's, you know, that, that, that's why I think I feel differently than you guys. I've been looking at these home road splits and they are absurd. They're ridiculous. The fact that Duke went 11 and uh, sorry, uh, yeah, 11 and seven against this schedule, against a schedule this difficult, with all the injuries Duke had to battle, is truly impressive. So and Carolina we also went. have a really good non-conference schedule. I'm not non-conference. A really good neutral site record. We have always yeah. had that. I mean, we. Yep. If you think about, it, there's a reason why we play in the Garden every year. We play in 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 Barclays every year. It's because those are the tournament. I mean, like you said, in the ACC tournament, in the NCAA tournament, there are no true road games. They're all neutral site. And I think that is what we are best at. I think that's what Coach K is best at preparing his players to undergo is those games that are neutral site in front of fans that are, it's, it's not going to be, you know, obviously every arena that we walk in is going to be, you know, when we're playing is mostly going to be against us, but we have that mentality that we know how to walk into an NBA arena or another college arena and take on another team that does not have the, san- the, the sanctuary that is their home court behind them. And that's where we are at our best, I think. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to the ACC tournament, which starts this week on Tuesday in New York City, in Brooklyn, uh, which just seems crazy, but, you know, what the heck. Uh, and the game that we'll be watching on Tuesday is Clemson against NC State, the 12-13 game, because the winner of that Clemson-NC State game will play Duke on Wednesday. We did not get the double bye. We only got a single bye. We will play on Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Um, and uh, should we win, and I really, really hope and expect we will, we will play Louisville on Thursday, um, at, also at 2 o'clock. Uh, and uh, and it, it's pretty likely that after that we would face Carolina again in the semifinals. Um, gentlemen, I, I, I'm guessing you'll be able to pull up and look at the bracket. Um, I, I feel like we got a tough break. If you, if you ask me, you know, all these teams that were bunched there, uh, you know, bunched there right underneath Carolina, Louisville, Florida State, Notre Dame, us, Virginia, those are the teams that were bunched right in there. I, I think the one that, to me, is the toughest matchup is Louisville, and that's what we got. Um, uh, I, I, I am pleased that we, that we avoided Wake Forest. I think of the lower-tier teams that we would have to face in that, in that second-round game, the one that I really wanted to avoid was Wake Forest. 
So I, I, I guess that's a good thing, but this is a tough road, isn't it? I mean, Sam, you know, do you think we can, can we, can we do the, you know, beat Clemson, beat Louisville, beat North Carolina, and then probably beat, uh, I'm guessing Notre Dame, maybe Florida state. Well, uh, on our side of the bracket. So pre championship game, Duke has lost to everyone on their side of the bracket other than Clemson this year. Um, so it's a tough ask because wow, there's I hadn't realized that you're right. That's awesome. <laughs> NC State. So so the so the twelve thirteen game is NC State versus Clemson. Duke obviously everyone remembers lost to NC State. Uh, if Duke wins that game, they get to play Louisville, and then if they win that game, they get to play one of North Carolina, Syracuse, or Miami. Now, to be fair, of all those losses, only one of them happened at home in Cameron, which was against NC State. The rest of those, all the good teams in that bracket, all the teams that are actually vying for for NCAA tournament position are all teams that Duke lost to on the road. But um, I think you're right that the Duke got a pretty tough draw here. I think that Duke matches up really poorly with Louisville. Um, the rest of those teams, though, I would say Duke is is probably able to beat, um, you know, even though they didn't demonstrate it all the time. Uh, I think Louisville's the really tough one. I think that that if if you're asking me to tell you where Duke is going to end up in this tournament, I think that Duke handles whichever team comes out of the Clemson-NC State game and then promptly loses to Louisville. Not to say that Duke can't beat Louisville, um, but they've been an especially strong team this season. They've, they've gone up they've gone up really well against pretty much everyone they've played, and, and I, I'm not going to be surprised. And honestly, I won't be disappointed if Duke loses to Louisville. I think that Duke is probably hovering for the ACC or for the NCAA tournament somewhere in the 4-5 range, and that losing to Louisville is not going to change the the way the committee looks at Duke. I think that that most you know college basketball fans would would look around the country this year and say that Louisville's been a strong team, and that if Duke loses to them, it's not a it's not a huge deal. Now that being said, I think that Duke is certainly capable of beating them, and I think that Duke is capable of beating anybody in the ACC because they've proven it this year. They they beat the ACC champs, the regular season champs, as much as we can call them that, as as Jason pointed out. Um, beat them once on the home floor. Uh, as we as we mentioned, impressive road wins against other top teams in the conference. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens here. I'm not going to hold my breath that the Duke is going to make it all the way to the weekend. Um, but the ACC tournament is always a good time. And, you know, every year it seems like there's there might be a team or two that, that advances to the semis or to the championship that didn't necessarily belong there. And, you know, for, for all the hoopla that Duke got, early in the season they they don't i don't i don't think you guys would disagree duke doesn't seem like they deserve to be acc champions at this point but you never know when like i said the team is volatile and you'll never know when all the guys are going to be clicking for a game or two or three at a time and they can wind up you know playing on saturday night uh in in brooklyn for the for an acc championship for a banner hey donald let me put it to you (laughs) yeah go for it I was going to say, Donald, let me, let, me, let me put this question to you. Okay, take Duke out of the equation. Take North Carolina out of the equation. Who – give me a team that you think yeah, – because Sam's right. There's always a surprise. Give me your surprise team. Give me your team that you're like, wow, I didn't expect that team to be in the semifinals or that team to make the championship. So I think the team that could surprise people is going to be Syracuse. And only because and, – and you're thinking, Syracuse, that's a that's – a, easy pick but Syracuse if if you recall we talked about this at the beginning of the season Syracuse started out awful and for them to rebound from what was an awful start to the season to get to you know if they beat that that would mean they beat Miami they beat North Carolina and probably either us or Louisville that's a huge huge uh run for them to get to the final of the ACC tournament and I think that it, it would be a surprise for me now, I want to go back to looking at, you know, we we're talking about seeding um, for the NCAA tournament. I mean, the way that this is set up, yeah, this is a tough draw for us. But if we were able to win this thing, and I, I don't like thinking about losing in the semis or the quarterfinals because that's just not my style. But if we can win this thing, what would that say about our seeding in the NCAA tournament? You know, there's talk about we would be at about a four or five right now. And we're kind of staying there. But if we beat, you know, we beat Clemson, we beat Louisville, we beat North Carolina, and then we beat one of Florida State, Notre Dame, or Virginia, three teams that 
you know, either are have been really good all season or teams that have been revered all season in, in the case of Virginia that has kind of fallen off recently. Those are that when you add that to the resume that we already have, it's hard for the NCAA tournament committee to say this team can only be a four or a five. So, um, this oh, is no, no, I mean, no. I, I think if so, uh, it, it North Carolina is probably going to get a, a, a one seed if they make the championship at the ACC. I think they'll get a one seed, correct? They, may, they maybe fall to a two if they lose to Syracuse or Miami. If they lose to the Duke Louisville winner, then they maybe fall to a two. But I think if Duke. Louisville, Florida State, or maybe even Notre Dame or Virginia wins the ACC tournament. Certainly Duke, Louisville, or Florida State, if any of those teams win the ACC tournament, they're getting a two. They're I absolutely that getting too. a two. And, and in fact, it's, Louisville, I think, is the team that has the best chance to get a one. I think it's, if Louisville beats North Carolina in the semifinals and then wins the ACC, uh, Louisville still has an outside shot at getting a one seed. Yeah, I agree with that too. And, and I mean, just last week before some of these dominoes fell, they were saying that even with, you know, the win-loss record of a lot of these teams, that whoever won the ACC was going to get a one seat. And I think in the case of North Carolina and Louisville and maybe even Florida State, that hasn't changed. But I, I think for the rest of the teams, yeah, I think a two is a seat, is the ceiling here. And I think that's something that a nice strive for but it's gonna i mean obviously it, it all depends on where they place us right it could be a two in the west but it's still a two seed uh, but i think that is what you know that is the ceiling here and i think that's something that's very attainable because the acc for all its strengths has been erratic in the fact that anybody can beat anybody and that is what this team this Duke team needs to take into that tournament is that, hey, we're just as good as anybody else. We've, you know, we've proven that by beating North Carolina. We've proven that by beating Florida State, Notre Dame, Virginia, all on the road. Like, I mean, those teams, oh, we didn't beat Florida State in a row, but we beat Florida State. I, I think taking that mentality into the tournament is what this team needs to get to the final because if you can walk into a game knowing that this team can be beat on any given night, then that finality is what is going to drive this team. And I think that is what this tournament is going to be about. It's going to be in Brooklyn. It's a new site. So, it, I mean, there's no real home court advantage. I mean, Syracuse is the closest team, but there's no real home court advantage in Brooklyn. We are going to have a lot of fans there. North Carolina is going to have a lot of fans there. Syracuse is going to have a lot of fans there. And I think that kind of, you know, neutral site a real neutral site for the ACC tournament for once is going to be the key for Duke to shine because I think that is what where we perform best is when the lights aren't really focused on us and it's just a neutral site where everybody has the same odds Duke is going to be just as you know just has great a chance as anybody else to get to the final of this tournament hey Sam really quick uh so who would be your pick who, who do you think could surprise us. I, I like Virginia. I think that the the advanced metrics really like Virginia, um, and that they had some tough losses down the stretch. But I could easily envision them pulling together on offense and and beating every team. You know, fifty four to forty nine <laughs> going into the ACC championship and winning it. So um, quickly, I, I believe in Virginia. With a Following up on that, do you think that's a surprise, though? Because I was thinking about Virginia, like, they are a strong team at a six. They're probably one of the well, strongest sixes yeah, right. ever. I, I, I think the is fact that, that a real surprise? I think the fact that they're the six seed makes them, makes them a, you know, it depends on how we're, how we're defining it, certainly. I think that yeah, another, team has been, another team that's been intriguing to me this year, they haven't played well recently, but they've shown that they're able to, to beat good teams um, without necessarily having the talent is Georgia Tech. And I think that Josh Pastner did a really great job with them this year. They're, they're going to improve. And if that light came on for them in the ACC tournament, I wouldn't be surprised. Now they would have to do it out of the, you know, out of having to play on Tuesday. Um, but if you want me to pick a, pick a weird one, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest also is interesting to me. I don't see any of the other Tuesday teams being, being, you know, impact on the tournament. Yeah, I can see. Wake I, I, I can see Wake Forest making it to uh, Thursday against. Florida I mean, State. Wake Forest. Wake Forest is playing. Wake Forest is playing on Tuesday with arguably the best player in the ACC in John Collins. And um, you know, I, 
like I said, arguably, I think that you can make an argument for Bonzi Colson or Luke Kennard or Justin Jackson. But if you told me that you think that John Collins is the best player in the ACC this year, I'd be like, fine. You know, you, that that's a that's an appropriate opinion to have, even if I don't necessarily share it. Um, that guy, that guy can win a game for you, and he might win two or three games for you. And they have to play Boston College in the first game, who's not very good at all. Um, in the second game, they have to play Virginia Tech, who's really up and down. And in the third game, they they would play Florida State. Um, so you you could see Wake Forest having an easy time getting to that Florida State game, and then who knows what would happen. Um, yeah, guys, so I, I, I was I'm I'm amazed that neither of you went with. Uh, if you ask me, who's the surprise team that's going to make a run? I, I I was it's Florida State all the way. I, there may not be anyone. The two seed, the ten seed. You mean? I'm sorry, I said Florida State. I meant Wake Forest, Wake Forest, Wake Forest. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. You were talking about Florida State. I was thinking about Wake versus – but it's Wake. To me, it's Wake. Uh, Wake has won three in a row. They, they, they just won at Virginia Tech. That ain't, that's not easy to do, you know? Uh, they, they beat Louisville. Uh, and, and, and let's not forget, you know, it was just a week and a half or so ago that they played Duke dead even pretty much and Cameron. I mean, this – this Wake Forest team is really good. I agree that um, getting Boston College is like getting a bye. Um, uh, I, I, I think Wake is playing their best ball of the season. And, and this sort of leads me to the next topic really quick. Uh, so do we feel like the ACC has secured 10 bids at this point? I mean, obviously. So if, I'm looking, if I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at the ACC bracket, right? So just looking, looking down the bracket. The top four guys are all in North Carolina, Louisville, Florida State, Notre Dame. Then we look at the next line. Virginia, yes. Virginia Tech, yes. Duke, yes. Miami, uh, sure. Yes. yes. Um, They're t- and, 10 and 8. They're 20 and 10 overall. Yes. Not even a question. Syracuse has, a, has kind of a weird record. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about them, although I think they probably get in. I, I feel stronger about – I feel better about Wake Forest than I do about Syracuse. Um, I, I think, first of all, t- 10 and 8 in the ACC. The, uh, everyone has talked about this conference is murderer's row. It is so tough. Sure, it is got, such a good but, conference. But, but you do, they went 10 the, and 8. The committee, the committee doesn't look at, at, at your conference record, right? And they, 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 they might outside of the fact that they officially don't. Um, but Syracuse has some bad losses, right? They lost to St. John's by like a million earlier this Syracuse season. Syracuse has and, bad losses in 2016. But those, uh, hey, those count just as much as the ones that, that happened this year. As long, well, in the same season, certainly. Well, no. Um, I mean, the, com- the committee looks at what you do your last 10. They look at what, how are you playing. Uh, the committee's job is to find the best teams right now, the 64 best teams right now. It's right. not to find the 64 best teams in December or early January. And, 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 and I think Syracuse that, is I, in. The thing that certainly helps Syracuse is that there are a lot of teams with bad losses. Syracuse has, you know, within that group, the, the group that's probably in the, like, 10 to 13 seed range. Syracuse may have some of the very best, win- a couple of the very best wins in that group. So that certainly helps them. So yeah, maybe they're getting in and then, and then Wake Forest. And, and like we said, Wake Forest could, could absolutely go on a run in the ACC tournament and you wouldn't be surprised to see them there in the championship game. Um, it would be, it'd be a, a pretty incredible run for them, but, but you could see it. So uh, I, I, it's hard to say that any conference is ever going to get 10 teams into the tournament, even a conference as big and as talented as the ACC. Um, the, the conference tournament is set up that, that some of these borderline teams have to play each other and, and may be knocking each other out as the tournament is going along. Um, but so I, I'm, I'm going to hedge a little bit. I'm going to say that the ACC gets nine. I don't know which of Wake and Syracuse is not getting in, um, but it's one of those two. I think you're wrong. They're both going to make it. Syracuse has wins over Florida State, Virginia, and Duke. There is no team on the bubble who has wins that are even close to comparable to those three wins. But so many, but so many inex, inexplainable losses, unexplainable losses. But not, not since early January. Since I'm, early, uh, they're past 20 games, not quite 20. They're past 15 games. They have been absolutely, unquestionably a tournament team. No, right. there's absolutely no question about it. Do, now, am I, what do you think? Now, by ten, and, by ten teams, are you talking about fully in, or are you are you counting the first four? 
First four is part of the tournament. It counts. It's part of the tournament. So 10 out of – so basically, I because I think that – 10 out of 68. Yeah, I think Wake uh, makes the first four. Um, I'm not sure if Syracuse does. Um, And and, and it's not because – I feel like in the end, it's not even going to be about whose resume. It's going to be about the fact that the committee doesn't want to take 10 teams. There's going to be some other team, and, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of conference tournaments left to play, right? There's going to be a surprise. There's going to be someone who makes it to a final or, or, or outright wins their tournament in one of these smaller conferences, replacing a team that may or may not would have been solid, solidly in if, if they had won. So I think in the end we get nine teams in, and I think one of those teams is going to be either Wake or Syracuse, probably Wake, in the, um, uh, in the first four. So that's my prediction. All right, we'll see. We'll see. You got the ACC tournament to, to help bolster these teams' resumes. Um, hey, if you're, I, if, you're in New York, if you're in New York this week, go to some ACC tournament games, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, if Syracuse wins one game and if Wake wins two, if Wake wins one, they're probably still in, but they may be on the bubble. If they win two, they're in. If Syracuse beats Miami, if Syracuse wins one game, they're they're both they're all in, and that would give the ACC ten. and And that's what I really I, I really want to see us get ten. I think I think the conference has been so strong. We deserve ten teams. Um, uh, all right, guys. So it's time for parting shots. Uh, un, un, unless there's something else that we need to be doing. Player yeah. of the week. We do player of the week first or parting shots. Oh, uh, let's do player of the week first. All right, All right, so I already, I already gave mine away. So I already said, I, I'm taking Frank Jackson. I thought he was, uh, he was absolutely incredible against Florida State, uh, you know, in a game where I feel like we, we, we needed a lift. I mean, you know, Grayson was clearly hobbled, was coming off a game where he hadn't played, and, uh, and, and Duke was reeling a little bit. And for a freshman to lift us on his shoulders the way he did, and, and Frank really, Frank was the, the reason that we got out to a nice lead that we were then able to hold on to in the second half. Um, and then I thought he played pretty nicely against uh, Carolina. Um, uh, you know, not great, but not bad. He he had six rebounds, which tied for the team lead. Um, he had two assists, which tied for the team lead. By the way, I'm kind of bothered that two assists ties for the team lead. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and and he had 15 points, which is second highest on the team. I thought some of his um, some really athletic forays to the basket. Uh, around you know a very very good Carolina team that doesn't usually give up lots of um, shots in the paint and and Frank was Frank's use of the glass was really impressive against Carolina. Um, so my player of the week, I think the first time all year I picked him, Frank Jackson. Donald, Frank, Frank, Jack, Frank, 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 Jack, Frank Jackson's my player of the week for everything you just said and the fact that I thought he was just outstanding. Uh, all week, and and he's been coming along pretty pretty well the last few games. We're going to need that in the tournament. Frank Jackson's my player of the week, and he moves into a starting role, starting role for him, and he and he thrived in it. Yeah, Sam, absolutely. you going to make it unanimous? No, I I liked Frank Jackson this week. I also liked Luke Kennard this week, and I liked Emil Jefferson this week. But I'm going to take Emil Jefferson. I think that he contributed at both ends of the court really well and especially against Carolina was as we said nearly unstoppable when he had the ball one-on-one um, looked as good as any post player we've seen this season so I'm, I'm going to give it to Emil Jefferson this week and let's hope that that all these we have more contentious uh, player of the week discussions in in the hopefully many weeks to come I can live with that I like it all right gentlemen it is time for our parting shots uh, Donald I will start with you, sir. What do you got for me? Uh, I, I don't really have a party shot other than to say this. This is the most wonderful time of the year. It's March. It's March Madness. The ACC tournament is upon us. And then after that, NCAA tournament. If for some reason you have been living under the rock or you have not watched a lot of college basketball, this is the time where you tell your, your, your spouse, your, your significant other, your, your kids, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, stay the hell out of my way. I'm watching basketball for the rest of the month because this is the best time of the year to do it. I, I think uh, this is my favorite time of the year. I know for you guys, it's, it's, a, it's probably your favorite time of the year. And I'm looking forward to seeing what this team is going to do. And I'm also looking forward to seeing what the rest of college basketball is going to do. Um, this is one of those things where uh, you walk into the tournament and you don't really know 
for the first time in, you know, in a few years, you don't really know who's going to win. You don't really know who has the edge. Uh, and so it's going to be cool to see what players step up, what teams step up when the, the lights shine the, the brightest. So uh, happy March, and let's get hunting. Sam, your turn. What's your parting shot? Do you, uh, Jason, I, I don't, this might be yours, um, but uh, the, I think the biggest news in college basketball this week and news that is certainly relevant to the Duke program and the Duke family uh, was the enormous, enormous layup at the end of the game between Northwestern and Michigan uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday night. Uh, Northwestern is now 21 and nine. They're 10 and seven in their, in their crappy conference. Um, but they're ranked, I think, 35th in Ken Palm, something like that, 35th in Ken Palm. Northwestern's going to the NCAA tournament uh, for the first time in their history. They've been a Power 5 school for, their, for the entire time that the NCAA tournament has been around. And our, our friend of the podcast, former podcast guest, Chris Collins, uh, former Duke basketball player and Duke basketball coach and USA basketball assistant coach, uh, is, is at the helm there. So our collective congratulations to him prematurely perhaps um but that northwestern is going to make it to the tournament it doesn't matter i think what they do against purdue um tomorrow it doesn't matter probably what they do in the big 10 tournament they're getting in and that's an incredible accomplishment for chris collins and for their school and for their program and i think that i speak at least for the for the two of you and and hopefully for many other duke fans out there that we're really happy for uh, yes, that was not going to be my parting shot, but I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, and, and folks, if you haven't seen it, there is a, a, a great Twitter video um, that the Northwestern Athletics tweeted out um, of Chris Collins walking from, you know, from the bench, from the handshake line, back to the locker room. And he's just, after that Michigan game, he's just elated. He, you can, you know, he's pumping his fists in the air. And you can tell that he also realizes what Sam just pointed out, what the entire college basketball world realizes, which is that uh, Northwestern is going to the tournament. And, and, uh, and he's, he's so excited. It's really, it's a great video. Um, and speaking of videos, this is, not my, um, this is not my parting shot, but I want to tell people, if you haven't seen the uh, Hallelujah parody um, that, that a Duke fan posted on YouTube, it's called Let's Go Duke Yeah, as opposed to Hallelujah. Um, it is really, it is a really clever video. It is just brilliant. And the other video that everyone needs to see, did you guys see the Brennan Bresser, Antonio Vrankovic hype video? Yes. No, not yet. I saw that it was up there, but I haven't watched it yet. I saw it. It was pretty funny. With the, oh, uh, it's so great. The coordinated the high fives. All the yeah, different the coordinated high fives, yeah. That was their really oh, my God. It's great. It's great. But my parting shot, um, uh, and we don't encourage gambling. Ladies and gentlemen, there, there's, there's no wagering going on on the podcast, and we don't encourage you to wager. But if you happen to be someone who occasionally wagers on, on college athletics, um, I, I found a website, and I was able to look at how everyone in the ACC, and I'll post this in the thread um, that we put, you know, for the podcast this week so folks can see that the fabulous research that I did that went into this, how every single team in the ACC has done against the spread. And you may say, Jason, why did you waste your time doing something as silly as that? Uh, well, th- the answer is because I sort of feel like it's an interesting way to gauge how teams have done relative to expectations. You know, it's not just your record. It's, it's sort of how did you perform in your games relative to how the money, the gamblers, thought you were going to perform. The team in the ACC that has the best record against the spread, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you guys, can you all guess, who do you think has the best record against the spread in the ACC this year? Duke. Florida State. Okay, Donald, if you said Duke, uh, you're, you're that was wrong. Silly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll get to how wrong you are in just a moment. The answer is Notre, <laughs> the answer is Notre Dame. Notre Dame fourteen eight and three against the spread. By the way, three pushes on Notre Dame. I'm, I'm amazed, but fourteen and eight uh, is really impressive against the spread. Um, up next is Louisville, that went seventeen and eleven against the spread. Then Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech were both fifteen and eleven versus the spread. Actually, sorry, and Virginia was also seventeen and eleven versus the spread. Um, at the very bottom of the ACC, the team that was worst against the spread, the absolute worst, was Miami, ten and eighteen. The next worst, your Duke Blue Devils, eleven and nineteen. That I mean, Duke's got to be bad against the spread every year, right? Because the expectations are always high and the team is popular. So Vegas will give them more points because, or will will take more points away from them because, because 
because fools will bet on them. Well, but you would say the same thing about Carolina. I mean, certainly there are a ton of Carolina supporters out there. Certainly you would think that UNC would get points because people love to bet on them. Carolina went 16-14-1 and against the spread so far this year. All right. I, <laughs> prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, so there, there you go. Um, and, and I think one of the telling things to me about Duke's 11-19 and 19 record against the spread is if you – if you think back to what we thought this team was going to be early in the year, we haven't blown that many teams out. You know? I mean, like, Florida State that we beat by five, we didn't cover. The, the line in that game was, uh, I think, eight points. We, we did not cover against Florida State. Um, we actually, you know, we talked about we didn't cover today against UNC. But, it, you know, even in the games that we've won, there have been a lot of closer games than I would have thought this season. Um, and... I can't decide whether that's something that concerns me or whether I feel like we're a team that is battle-tested. We're a team that has you know, really had some, some tough contests. Uh, look, both games against Wake Forest were really close games. We played uh, you know, a really close game against Clemson. Um, you know, teams that you wouldn't expect us to have had to battle as much as we did. Um, and uh, you know, it came down to final possession kind of games. Um, and, and Duke's actually fared fairly well in those. I mean, yeah, we lost the Syracuse game. We lost the Miami game. They were both very, very, very close games. But, you know, I sort of like the way we've done um, in some of these really tight contests. And maybe, even though we haven't been as impressive as people thought we would be this year, maybe, you know, this is a team that is tested, knows how to play down the stretch, and can pull off some wins. I don't know. I'm going to try and take this negative and turn it into a positive. Do you see how I did that, guys? Is I appreciate that. <laughs> all right well that will do it for us this week on the dbr podcast i hope you all enjoyed listening um and you've enjoyed being with us for this season we now embark upon the postseason the acc tournament begins on tuesday duke begins play on wednesday and hopefully they'll be playing wednesday thursday friday saturday all the way through to the end that would be our goal and uh we will be back with you guys what do we think we'll, we'll come back uh, once we know the tournament pairings right we'll come back on sunday yeah most likely Yep, that's the plan. You will see another podcast from us once we know where Duke is going to be playing in the NCAA tournament. Until then, go out there if you live in New York and support the Blue Devils, and we leave it now to the DBR's faithful Duke band as they take us home.